Changing Sky, Amanda Neal's novel telling the story of a young girl's journey through growing up, coping with her demanding father, through music, love and heartbreak. Rachel Summers reads the serialisation of the book for Brooklyn's Radio. Chapter 5, Part 1 The thought of going back home left a lump in the back of my throat. The question was whether I could clear that lump and just see past what was ahead of me. I just need answers, and there was absolutely no way I was going to have anything answered at Gertie's. It was true that I had friends with me, and plenty of attention. After my discovery in the barn, though, I felt more than ever that I was being deceived. Belle and I left for my old home in the middle of the night, at a time when Gertie was fast asleep and not likely to hear our footsteps down the staircase through her purring and snoring. Belle often compared her grandmother to a cat, as she would sleep curled up in a ball and make noises like a Persian. It was cute. It also meant that the chances of us getting heard were very slim. We rushed out close to midnight as Gertie was fast asleep by eleven. Belle had stayed over on the Friday night as planned. We had mentioned to Gertie that we wanted to work on some new songs in the barn on Saturday afternoon and do some of our science project together. She was pleased that Belle and I found comfort in each other and was so excited that we were spending time with the piano, writing new songs and singing. I think she felt it took my mind away from being at home and that I would soon forget. How could I forget that my father tried to starve me? One thing I had not considered when I came up with the idea of going home was how I was going to get there. Thankfully, Belle had thought of everything. She had enlisted the help of Jake, a boy in one of the older years at school. He helped out in her music class at school and often conducted the singing groups. More importantly, he had just passed his driving test and had a volunteer to drive us to my home. I instantly fell asleep on the way to the house as I sat in the back listening to them both discussing their theories on music. I had every intention of staying awake, but my mind drifted off into a deep sleep. Whilst I was asleep, my world was always different. It was calmer, happier. Whenever sleep came, it was like shutting the curtain on a rainy day, or the dab of a wad of cotton wool on a wounded knee. I must have been asleep for a while, as when I was woken by Belle, we were at the house, which stood dark and forbidding, its outline darker than the hue of the night sky behind it. Sky, wake up, we're here. I was being nudged gently in the side by Belle. Waking out of my slumber, I opened the car door and stepped onto the pavement, all of the peace from my sleep now gone. I stared up at my home with a sense of bitterness. Chills came over my body, like someone stepping on your grave, my mother had always said. Still, I didn't let my fears stop me from going in. I had been waiting for this moment. It was time to get the answers that I was looking for. Looking at the house, I could see that my father was indeed away. All of the lights were off and his car was gone. Good. Going back inside would be a lot easier. Looking back at Belle, I saw her saying something to Jake through the car window, who nodded and then pulled away. Jake is going to wait for us round the corner, said Belle as she joined me in front of the house. I've told him that we'll flash him three times with this torch if we get into any trouble. She held up a long black rubber torch, grinning at me as she did so. I have to say, this is much more exciting than most of my Saturday nights. Next week, perhaps we can try breaking into the town museum. Ha ha, I said. Come on, follow me. Belle followed me as I crept round to the side of the house and slowly, quietly opened the back gate. Belle followed me in as I entered, looking for all the world like a cartoon character as she tiptoed with exaggerated steps through the shadows. 
Stop messing about, I hissed. This is serious. Sorry, she hissed back, just trying to lighten the mood. I knew she was, and I loved her for it. Without her by my side, I would have chickened out at the front of the house. Just the thought of going back inside alone made me feel sick. Still, I wasn't going to tell her that. Despite all her bravado, I was fairly convinced that Belle would have much preferred being tucked up in bed at Gertie's. Stopping as I got to the back wall, I felt Belle bumping into me. Watch it, will you? I hissed. You nearly knocked me over. Well, it would help if I could actually see anything, she replied. Then, what's next then? First, we climb onto the roof. Then we climb up to my bedroom window. I felt rather than saw the look she was giving me. My bedroom window was a good twenty feet above the shed roof, accessible only by a bare and rickety-looking trellis that stretched up the wall, the climbing roses that had once adorned it having been stripped away by my father a long time ago when they had threatened to become out of control. Whoa! Hold on there, horsey! she exclaimed, her eyes wide with horror. We're climbing up that! Oh, bloody hell, Sky! Well, what did you think we were going to do? Go next door for the key? Come on, we'll be fine. That trellis is stronger than it looks. In actual fact, it wasn't. It was absolutely as old and rickety as it looked, having been on the front of the house for as long as I could remember. With my father's lack of skills in DIY, it was highly likely it had come with the house when he had bought it, which was over 20 years ago. Luckily, it was too dark for Belle to see how old it was, otherwise I doubt she would have climbed it. Truth be told, knowing its true vintage, I would have refused too, had I not been so desperate in my quest to get inside the house. Taking a deep breath, and without looking at Belle, I hoisted myself on top of the water barrel next to the shed and climbed onto the roof, motioning Belle to follow me. Reluctantly, she joined me on the shed roof and then watched as I slowly worked my way up the trellis, picking the parts that I knew were safest. Come on, I said. You'll be okay if you go exactly where I went. I'll tell you exactly where you can go, grumbled Belle, putting particular emphasis on the word exactly, as she reluctantly started to follow me up the trellis. We had climbed maybe two metres when the part I stepped on gave a loud crack, my foot dropping suddenly as the wood gave way. Grimacing, in case anyone had heard, I quickly grasped a section of trellis above my head, pulling myself to safety. Not that bit, though, I said to Belle, taking my turn to try and make light of the situation. If I end up falling off here, I'll kill you, she said through clenched teeth. I don't know why I listen to you. I could be at home, in bed, but oh no. Here I am, climbing up some knackered old trellis up the side of your psycho father's house and... Shh, I whispered sharply. My next-door neighbour's coming out. Sure enough, Mrs Huckle, my father's next-door neighbour, opened her back door. The light from her kitchen flooding out from behind her, illuminating not only her garden but also part of my father's too. Diddykins, where are you? Here, Diddykins, come to Mummy. Come on, my darling, Mummy's tired. Diddykins, I heard Belle trying hard to stifle a giggle from below me. Please don't tell me she's calling her husband in from the shed or something. Shh, Diddykins is her cat. Stay still so she doesn't see us. Although Mrs Huckle's garden faced my father's garden, her house was far too far away for the light from her kitchen to reach the wall on which Belle and I were hanging like two monkeys scaling a ladder. Still, I didn't want to take any chances. 
Mrs. Huckle was a nosy cow and would be bound to kick up a real commotion if she saw me. Nothing got past her, even with a man as secretive as my father. Indeed, she had been the first to spread the news of my mother's sudden departure when my father had kicked her out, telling everyone from the local shopkeeper to the milkman about the shouting and the squealing tyres of the car that had taken her away. After being summoned several times, Diddykins, Mrs. Huckle's demonic-looking ginger cat, came running out of the darkness and slunk his way artfully through her legs and into the kitchen. I watched as she started to close the door and then stopped, staring into the darkness towards my father's house. My heart thudded in my chest, surely because she couldn't see us. Apart from the distance between the houses, there was also a large tree at the end of my father's garden that m must partly be obscuring her view of us. Finally, after what felt like an age, Mrs. Huckle stopped staring and closed her door. Shortly afterwards, the kitchen light went out. Taking a few seconds for my vision to become reaccustomed to the darkness, I started to climb upwards again, Belle following me, both of us taking care where we put our hands and feet. After another minute of climbing, we reached the window ledge outside my bedroom. Balancing on the trellis and praying quietly that it would continue to take my weight, I started to try to push open my window. Fortunately, my bedroom window was one of three in the house that didn't have a proper latch on it. Otherwise, we would never have been able to make our way in. It was a sash window with a latch on the sliding part that was meant to marry up with the corresponding latch on the half half of the window. Thanks to my father's lack of DIY skills, the latch and the catch had never matched up properly, making it impossible to lock the window. All the same, it was an effort to open the window. The sliding half was heavy and there wasn't much of a gap for me to slide my fingers under. Finally, after a lot of struggling, I felt the movement of the window opening slightly. Wriggling my fingers into the newly widened gap, I pushed the window upwards so there was enough room for Belle and myself to get in. Climbing over the ledge and into my room, I looked around. It was as if I had never lived there. All of my things had gone. What was left was just white walls and wooden floors. Every sign of my life there was gone. No pictures, bed, teddies, books, cards from friends, nothing. Even the photos of Summer and I had been removed. The floor gleamed like it had been polished over and over again. The whole room had become cold and surgical, like I had literally been cut out of my father's life. Motioning to Belle, I opened the door onto the landing so we could walk across to my parents' room. After listening carefully for any signs of my father, I crept across, closely followed by Belle, who kept looking behind her as if expecting my father to suddenly pounce on us. Thankfully, he wasn't. It was just us, Belle and I, alone in that cold, dark house. Reaching my parents' bedroom door, I tried the handle. The handle moved down, but the door stayed closed. It was locked. I'd expected this. Ever since my mother had left, the door to what had now become solely my father's bedroom had always been locked. I thought hard about where my father might have hidden the key. I had only ever seen him put the key into his trouser pocket. If he ever hid it anywhere else, I had no idea where to even start looking. I wasn't about to be foiled now, though. I was angry. I had come this far and wanted answers. Now confident that the house was empty, I ran downstairs to the cupboard where my father kept his few tools. Opening the door, I searched until I found what I was looking for. A large hammer, with a hammerhead on one side and a claw on the other. 
Running back upstairs, I pushed past Belle and started battering at the door, first denting it, then leaving large splinters as the area around the door handle started to give way. Sky, what the hell are you doing? gasped Belle, watching in horrified fascination as I bashed away at the door. I think your dad is definitely going to notice that his door isn't quite how he left it. At that moment, I was too angry to care. Seeing a gap starting to appear, I turned the hammer around and used the claw-shaped part to start prising open the door. As the door swung open, I looked inside. The room was as I remembered it to be, frosty and dark with charcoal-coloured sheets on the bed and the curtains barely open. There was very little furniture as my father never wanted my mother to have a dressing table or a bedside lamp. Just a wardrobe with a chest by the bottom of the bed that mum used to put our towels in. I perched myself on top of it for a moment to think about where on earth I could look for any clue that might tell me where my mother was. I suddenly felt cold, as if my father was still in the room. The bed had not a single crease in it, the way he liked it. He had always made my mother iron the sheets every day, a task she despised but nevertheless did to a very high standard, no doubt as it helped her to make her life easier. Belle was feeling uncomfortable and wanted to leave, but I was determined to stay. I walked over to the wardrobe and began searching through my father's clothes for a hint of a clue. There was no trace of my mother left at all now in their room, my father having discarded everything that belonged to her. The vase that she had bought from the summer country fair a few years back, the pictures of Summer and me with Mum outside the boutique on Summer's first day at work, her jewellery box, her hat boxes that used to be stacked in the corner. Everything had been stripped away in the short time I'd been away. I shuddered as I realised that both she and I had been completely erased from the house, as if we had never existed. I wondered whether he had done to Summer's room, what he had done to ours. Rummaging through Dad's clothes was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. All of his jackets and trousers were in colour order and pressed neatly, hanging in rows inside the cupboard. I checked every pocket I could see, even inside the lining of his waistcoats for everything. Moving over to the drawers beside the bed, I decided to try opening them, but they were both locked. "'What exactly are you looking for, Sky? hissed Belle. She was obviously growing more and more uneasy, all signs of her early enjoyment now gone. "'I don't know,' I replied. "'Something, anything, that will help me find my mother.' "'Look, I know how important finding a mother is to you, but really, if you don't know what you're looking for, maybe it's time to call it a day.' Let's get out of here, Sky, before he gets back. Belle, you said it yourself. He's away for a while. I'm sorry, but I'm not leaving until I've found something that will help me. As I said this, I suddenly laid my hand on a hard metal object stashed inside one of the drawers. The key to his drawer! Withdrawing the object from the shoe, I found that it was not one key, but two, joined together by a metal ring. Taking the keys out, I went over to the drawer and fitted the first one into the lock. It turned feeling the lock click as I did so. My heart beating faster for the second time that night, this time with excitement, I pulled the drawer out. It was empty. I locked the drawer, feeling like my stomach had been punched. I moved over to the other drawer and opened it with the remaining key. As I unlocked it and started to pull the drawer towards me, I automatically knew that this time I would find something. The drawer felt heavier and did not slide out as readily as the first one I tried. Instead, it came up slowly, becoming wedged after just an inch of movement, as if something were jamming it. I closed it, and then tried tugging it open again, but again it moved just an inch, then remained slightly stuck. 
I loved a challenge and decided on my frustration to tip the whole of the chest on its side and kick the drawer open, ignoring Belle's exclamation of alarm. My efforts had paid off. As the chest tipped over, a bunch of letters cascaded out, sliding and fanning out onto the floor. Belle gasped. Sky, could this be what you're looking for? Give me a torch, quick, I said, my voice shaking. Taking the torch from Belle, I turned it on, keeping the beam low so it wouldn't show in the bedroom window. All of the envelopes were addressed to me. All were unopened. Immediately, I recognised Summer's handwriting, accompanied by little pictures of flowers and stars that she had drawn in the corners of the pretty pink envelopes. The postmarks in the corners of each one spanned from the time she left for college until fairly recently. I clutched the letters to my chest. Summer was so creative in everything she did. There must have been more than 15 letters that I had never seen in my life. I was so overwhelmed at seeing them that a tear trickled down my cheek. Belle walked over to me and knelt down beside me to look at the letters. She put her arm around me and smiled lovingly. Oh, wow, Skye, how wonderful. You see, she hadn't forgotten you. She took one and sniffed it, and they even scented with a lovely spray. I wish I had a sister that loved me that much. But why wasn't I given these? Why did Dad keep these from me? I've had months away from summer and never believed that she wanted to see me. Why would he do this to me? I don't want to be apart from her now. She's all I've got. The tears now flowed freely from my eyes as I thought how long it must have been that he had kept all these letters from me. He knew how much I would have loved to have heard from her. Why was he determined to keep us apart? What had we done to make him treat us so callously? I struggled with the idea in my head so much that I could barely stay in the house any more. It no longer felt home to me. Instead, it was just the place where my father lived, like a dark, cold cave inhabited by a vile monster. If Belle hadn't been there with me, I truly think I might have set fire to the whole place there and then. Rachel Summers was reading from Amanda Neal's new novel, Changing Sky. Further editions on Fridays on Brooklyn's Radio at 715 